Hello, hello. I'm Rosalind Blessed, and welcome to the first ever Tales from Behind the Twitching Curtain. I am so excited to have you here with me. Every episode, we will listen to a short audio play and then have a chat around a subject matter. Uh, we'll be looking at some modern malaise, some mental health issues. Over the years, I've had a whole host of mental health struggles. That is not a secret. And I've come to find that sharing that has encouraged other people to talk about what's going on with them. I mean, why not? I want to let you know that you are not alone. That is the main thing here. That is the whole point. It has been a difficult time. I think we can all agree on that. And we all have struggles. At the best of times, we all have struggles. Look, it's very British to keep it all inside. Stiff upper lip. Don't wash your dirty laundry in public. But the truth is, we all have dirty pants. No shame. Shame really is the enemy, in my humble opinion. So, go grab that dirty laundry and stake it all out on the lawn to compare and contrast, I say. I won't go on too much at this time, as we have a longer-length play to start the series. And you will be sick of the sound of my voice by the end of this episode. I promise guests in the future. <laughs> okay. Anyway, the first piece we're going to listen to is called The Deer and the Badger, which I wrote over the first and most severe lockdown whilst my mother was gravely ill. And then for the second part, as some time had passed during the following year, I forget which lockdown that was. Was it two or three by that point? Oh, does one just lose track? It is very personal and autobiographical, uh, but I've written it from my point of view, um, the carer's point of view, and kept the details of my mother's illness to a minimum, as I feel that that is private. Now, I, I, I should put a trigger warning in here. Now, I want to talk about trigger warnings. I don't think eliciting a response to something you've experienced or recognised is always a bad thing. Catharsis, and I go back to that feeling, not feeling alone thing here, can be very useful, so I leave it to your discretion. But there are some suicidal thoughts in this piece. It goes to some bleak places. But the fact that I'm talking to you now proves that I did not act on them. And you'll see the piece does go to a place of hope. And that's very important for me. You see, that's the thing about dark times. Sometimes it's hard to believe that they won't last forever. But they don't. So if you're feeling very low, please hang on and do ask for help. I promise you, with friends, family, professionals, help is most certainly out there. And people want to help you. So, having said that, I hope you enjoy the piece. I got to work with the exceptionally talented Caroline Devlin, who directed it, and the extraordinary Matt Eaton, who created the wonderful sound design. I think they've done a beautiful job. And I really, really hope that you enjoy it. Okay, so here we go, and we can chat again afterwards.
I feel differently now. I don't mean I've changed my mind. I mean that I feel differently. My emotions seem tampered with. They're either turned off or up to an unbearable level. I'm very alien in that sense of distant otherness. But also possibly like I have an inner snapping mouth and acid for blood. There is certainly acid in my stomach. I down a bottle of Gaviscon a day. Gives me evil shits. My thoughts get disordered, repetitive, loud. And underneath it there is this sludge of misery. I wonder if a lot of carers kill themselves. This is one of the repetitive thoughts. I wonder if a lot of carers kill themselves. Now, I don't want to kill myself, but I hate that question bobbing in and out of my brain far too regularly. That can't be good. I wonder if they do, though. They can't really, can they? They probably just shatter or crumble to dust one day. On my journey driving back, I cry. Well, weep would probably be more accurate. Howl, even. Weird, animal, guttural, unstoppable stuff. It's probably good to do it. Get it out. It sounds and feels dreadfully close to madness, though, and scares me. It is feral. I wonder if a lot of carers kill themselves. I am good at driving through it. Literally driving. Slow and gentle with my mad streaming eyes on the road. I have to do it on the drive as I am alone. Nobody needs to see that shit. Sometimes I howl on the drive to Mum, but usually on the way home because of the deer. It had been a bad day with Mum. One of those heartbreaking backward steps after a period of progress. I hated leaving her so small and fragile and sad, but I had to leave. I feel so guilty that I haven't moved in. I'm sure she wants it. I wonder if a lot of carers kill themselves. About five minutes into the journey home, I saw a deer on the side of the road and was captivated by its perfect beauty. Sleek brown fur and elegant neck bent backwards to display its soft, muzzled face. It was perfect, but it was dead. Love and loss in a second. The howling was born. There are fewer cars on the road because of the COVID. But of the ones I do encounter, a large percentage are crazy, speeding, reckless assholes who now live out some sad, dystopian, Mad Max speeder fantasy and fuck anyone or anything in their way. I hate them so much. The selfishness of mankind. They killed the deer. Pretty sure this disregard for nature was what got us here. I don't know. I'm pretty ignorant. But that feels right. Selfishness. I am so horrifically selfish. I'm in knots of shame and guilt over it. My stomach is on fire like it's filled with searing hot gravel. Probably need more Gaviscon. Evil shits be damned. I'm not even the one who is sick. I'm not the sick one. It's so much worse for her, so why am I so sorry for me? I'm gutted for me. I mourn my former life, my former self. I thought I lost my innocence years ago, but I was wrong. The things I've seen and done now, the secret stuff between my mother and I, I am forever changed. I think my youth, any remaining youth, died. I'm achingly sad, and the one person I would turn to can no longer help me. Isn't that nauseating? That gross level of self-pity? What a weak, useless bitch I am. I bite myself, on the arm, 
because of the weakness. It swells. I coped far better when I was helping her. I don't feel I am anymore. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a hospital. And they are behind the Covid curtain. Unreachable. I am no longer helping and there is no help coming. A person I love with all my cells is fading in front of me and I don't know what to do. I am impotently just sharing misery. Everything I do is wrong and I feel so sorry for myself. I wonder if many carers kill themselves. In my dreams, all my dreams, I make myself bleed. Am I having a breakdown? Or is it just drama? Mum's foot swelled. I can see the cheerful sunshine shining through it. This absolutely fascinates and appalls me. I used to have aquatic frogs and I loved them, but had to give them up because... They frequently developed dropsy, an old-fashioned term for edema. Their sweet little bodies blew up like balloons, and even if the vet successfully drained them, it was usually temporary and they would die anyway. Little things. It's unclear what causes it, so impossible to prevent. I couldn't take it. Mum's foot looks like that. It's made something in my brain lurch sideways. The image of my mother's foot joins the circus of repetitive thoughts alongside old faithful, I wonder if many carers kill themselves. I wonder if many carers kill themselves. What a fun time. For the last couple of years, Mum has dropped things and would exclaim, Oh, this dropsy is terrible. I thought it was a cute joke. I pointed to her foot and said, well, now you really have dropsy. No, she explained that dropsy was a technical name for dropping things after chemo. I googled it. I'm skilled at being silently right. Mum's legs swell next. On my way home, I noticed the deer is swollen. Like the legs, like the sick dropsy frogs, like my bitten arm. Its elegant death pose becoming an indecent, swollen splay. Who will take the deer away? Will anybody give it some dignity in death? No, there is no dignity now as we cower at home. Everybody dies alone, so they say. Well, now it's true. I think of my mother getting trapped in hospital and dying alone and start the daily howl. Days go. Legs swell. The deer swells. Legs weep. I weep. Mum weeps. The deer decomposes sadly alone. I'm getting really fat. Mum must hate that. She loves me to be thin. Oh, well, I have no time for it. That trauma will have to wait till I can remotely give a shit about anything. Why can't anybody help us? I wonder if many carers kill themselves. More days, so many pills, so many guesses and Googles of so many symptoms. Antibiotics? Not antibiotics. How do we get the medication we need? What do we need? How do I keep her alive? Why do people look at me like I have the answers? My panic attacks get more violent and more frequent. On my drive back, I see the deer as always and pull off the road. I grip the door handle stealing myself to pull the poor thing out of sight and into a ditch or under a bush. Just anything to stop it splaying and rotting exposed to the world. I breathe deeply and stop. 
my hand still on the handle. I can't face it. What if it explodes? What if I'm not as strong as I think? What if I make... What if I make it so much worse? What if I pull and its bloody legs come off or something? What if that is the moment I finally go mad and start running up and down the road, beating my head with two rotten deer drumsticks? What if these are excuses for the reality that I am a bloody failure? I don't want to get my hands dirty. I don't want to be bathing in shit. Women are supposed to be strong, to be built for pain and nappies and selflessness. I'm not. I didn't have children because I couldn't cope with all that. I was afraid I would disappear in caring for someone else 24 hours a day, drowning, dwindling and passing on all my crazy, going crazy. I think I was right. I am no woman. Well, I'll get mine. There will be nobody to help me when I am old and sick. Perhaps it won't come to that. I wonder if many carers kill themselves. I take my hand off the handle and drive home. I don't cry. I don't deserve it. Last night, the ambulance came. The day had been a good one. Well, you know, relatively speaking. Mum's legs were swollen and had been weeping copious amounts of fluid through the skin. I googled this and came across information to wash, moisturise and bandage the legs. Well, where the fuck does one get a bandage in these times? After several phone calls, a friend manages to drop off a bandage. I order 70 quid's worth off Amazon. They must think I'm a private doctor from all my orders of walkers, nappies, walking sticks, oxygen monitors, thermometers, seated working peddlers, nebulizer, now bandages and so many other forgotten or useless purchases. I dress the leg and mum and I feel good about it. The weeping stopped and I feel a sense of great victory. I did something good for a change. I kissed a smiling mother goodbye and went to walk my dogs in the woods. It was actually cheery, treating my poor partner to a bit of the old me. An hour later, Dad rang to tell me Mum's legs were pouring with blood. I called 999 and rushed over, all the way fretting that my idiot, uninformed actions may have killed her. The medics were pretty wonderful, cheery, informed and completely interested in what was going on. It was such relief to have someone who knew what they were doing in the house. We hadn't been able to see a GP in weeks, except once, when a lovely doctor leaned in our car window to take mum's blood pressure and oxygen saturation, like a kind of medical drive through not a lot they could do. She thought mum should be in hospital, but that hospital was too risky for her because of COVID. She wanted so badly to help, but these are unprecedented times. Everyone is impotent. We don't know what to do. The paramedics were able to do so much more. They took a reading of her heart. I didn't understand it, but... I understood that all the lines of spikes and dips had the word abnormal beside them. The medics laughed and chatted to mum, whilst one pulled me aside to explain that she was in heart failure and to ask me what I wanted to do in terms of resuscitation. I tried to have a conversation about my mother's death with this kind stranger whilst being called here and there to open or close windows or remember details of medication or medical history. I'm not sure I said anything of any use. It was blurry. Ball agreed that mum should be in hospital, but due to her breathing, she would go into the bad ward and that we probably wouldn't see her again. The paramedics agreed to try and treat her at home. Their 
expert wrote her a prescription and three hours after they arrived, they were gone. We were once again battling alone. What do I do with all of this? Do I tell my parents how serious it is? When did I become the grown-up? I put on my fake, in-charge, coping persona and keep on. I wonder if a lot of carers kill themselves. This morning, Mum had a fall. Just a little one out in the garden going up a small step. I hadn't been there to catch her as I was on the phone to the surgery. The old guilt and worry kicked in and I rushed out to her. I'm sorry, she said. No, I'm sorry, I said. And that was all we said. We sat outside on the offending step and held hands. It all went away. The bullshit. I wasn't angry or self-pitying or beating myself to a pulp. I was just a daughter holding my mum's hand. It's not our fault. We are just two people trying to navigate our way through impossible terrain with no compass. I perch outside the GP's window, listening to my mother cry out in pain. I am not allowed in with her, though I was told I would be. She has an ulcer on her spine, so sitting hurts her, hence the cries. I lean as far into the window as I can to eavesdrop. I can't hear anything, just the cries. Mum will be frightened without me. I've been the one in charge and she gets confused. Her memory is not at its best right now. Her bandage is being changed and her GP is seeing her at the same time. Not the lovely car one. A different one. The doors open and I am ushered in. The new receptionist, who answered my many, many phone calls, looks sniffy about it. Yeah. There have been many phone calls. I need someone to bloody save my mother's life. Damn right there have been phone calls. A young male doctor explains to me that my mother is just old, that there is no infection. I show the heart printout from last night with the paramedics. He looks at it and dismisses it. Oh, it's fine. Some stuff, but she's just old. Mum looks at me in panic. I explain that three months ago, my mother was walking dogs for two hours a day and still working, so the decline has been rapid and dramatic. He hmms with hollow sympathy. There hangs in the air a distinct feeling of having had enough of these hysterical women. He wanted me to know that. That's why he called me in. He leaves the room. Mum turns to the nurse and says, Oh dear, I never thanked him. I turn my face to the wall and cough to cover the furious tears brewing. We leave. Well, which is it? Is she dying of heart failure or is she just old? I don't know. I'm not a fucking doctor. I have started and stopped the grieving process over and over. No wonder I'm fraying. We've always been close. I don't know how to be without my mother. I don't know how I'll be able to judge if anything I do has any value. I will not have my life ally. If I get thin, who will care? I suppose on the up, nobody will care that much if I stay fat. Later in the kitchen, Mum and I have a cup of coffee. Mum starts. What did you think? I think he's an asshole, Mum. Mum contemplates her coffee. Yes. He is an asshole, isn't he? On my drive home, I steal myself for the deer. But it is gone. Someone has moved it. I am awash with gratitude. Something was done. Something was done. 
Rapid response came in the mornings to help Mum. Medical beds appeared and metal spiders to grip covered the toilets. In the midst of the pandemic, we were no longer alone. I drank less Gaviscon. Still, Mum's lungs filled with fluid and it could not be done. Oxygen saturation plummeting, we rang for an ambulance. This time the paramedics told us there was no choice. Without hospital, my mother would be dead in 36 hours. With hospital, she might catch the virus, but she stood a chance. We winced at the thought of her going there. No visitors. And mum has no mobile phone. And even if we got her one, there would be zero chance she'd use it. Parents. Until now, everyone has indicated hospital was a death sentence, but now there was nothing more we could do. She needed and, more importantly, wanted to go this time. I tried to hug my mother goodbye, but it made her too claustrophobic and breathless, so I had to stop. The leaving was so quick, I didn't have any words, just stared at her with big eyes, trying to cement every bit of her into my brain in case I never saw her again. She was hoisted into the ambulance, and the gentle paramedics asked her to move to the bed so they could start the journey. A weak but firm answer of, no, came drifting out. Dad and I exchanged a look and a giggle. Would I ever see her again? They shut the door. I picked up her elderly Jack Russell, who was trembling with distress, and watched the ambulance drive away. I held him close as I moved inside to sit and stare at a wall, attempting to feel something or put together a thought. I couldn't manage that, so after about half an hour, I said goodbye to Dad and drove home. Not crying. Not seeing the deer. But preparing to wait. We wait. I feel differently now. Different to the woman who felt differently. The badger lies by the side of the road, his beautiful round bum slightly sticking out. My eyes fill with hot, angry tears. You know they still want to cull them. Haven't we grown sick of death, of mankind's selfishness over this year? Well, here is one gorgeous soul, killed, that I will have to drive past on the journey to see my mother. I still drive to her because, against the odds, the 36 hours to live, she came home. After two weeks of uncertainty, not being able to reach her, of phones ringing and ringing and ringing out, the poor, overworked NHS, of starting to grieve again, of her moving from ward to ward to fix each new crisis, she came home. She is remarkably, almost miraculously recovered. Now, it did take a while, and a lot of nurses and bandages and mountains of pills, but we were no longer fighting alone. She is tiny and fragile looking, which I think actually delights her. This is a side thought but I remember a couple of years ago visiting her in hospital as she underwent treatment for Hodgkin's lymphoma. When their dinner was served on the ward, she left the dessert because, to quote, I'm not getting any exercise to burn it off. She was 79. Yeah, Mum, that's what people will think. Great she beat the cancer, but ooh, didn't she let herself go? She is so slender now that I feel monstrous, gargantuan standing next to her. I can hardly believe we come from the same species. I feel deep shame. But hey, I'm an emotional eater and this has been, quite frankly, traumatic. 
And whilst we are past the peak danger, I still feel rather on quicksand. I take nothing for granted. Mum munches on her sandwich, eyes sparkling. I can eat and eat and eat, but never put on weight. <laughs> Please don't think I'm criticising my mother. She is my ally, my friend and mentor, and I am beyond happy for this time. Five of my friends lost their parents over this year, two behind closed doors, unable to say goodbye. I mean, that's the horror, isn't it? That's the fear? It's ridiculous, but I'm racked with guilt that they lost their parents whilst mine survived. It's like we went on a journey together and I have somehow betrayed them. This isn't how they feel, of course. But if I can find a way to torture myself, then you better believe I will leap at it. Driving home, I pass the badger. Filth from the year's worsening weather carelessly splashed over his white fur turns it shitty brown. He is less defined. Black and white identity blurring away. I am sick of the company of death. It feels like a bloody stalker, making everything uneasy. It sometimes seems as if life, particularly older life, has become more disposable in these rotten times. This makes no sense to me whatsoever. Surely, life becomes even more precious. Our older generation are not something to be thrown on the scrap heap. They are full of something we cannot yet have, and that is experience. I don't know, just yet, what it's like to have seen eight or so decades pass, to see the best and worst of humanity, to see the circles, the triumphs, the dreadful mistakes. Their delicate skin is full to bursting with life. I fall short explaining this. Of course I do. As a middle-aged woman, I can only be middle-e insightful, but I can't help that. I treasure the gift of my time with Mum now. It feels a stolen opportunity. I have learnt to pay attention. Last spring, at the height of lockdown, to counteract this stalking death, I planted seeds, as so many did. Coriander, parsley, Basil, rocket, for near instant gratification. Thyme, tomatoes, butternut squash, cornflowers, violets, marigolds, and on and on. I chittered potatoes and put them on various sills. These tiny seedling pots became my obsession. The first time I realised, after peeking under the crust, that the soil was all bumpy because there were lots of tiny subterranean shoots pushing it up, Something sparked awake in me, awake in all my sad, numb flesh. It was as if I had learned a secret. But, of course, it wasn't. I mean, pretty much every bugger on the planet knows how seeds work. This didn't diminish the magic. I became the pot's servant, chasing the sun around my tiny garden with the seedlings on a tray as different bits of the garden got raised at different parts of the day. I watered with feverish care, and my seedlings grew. They were my new life. My contribution. A real low point was reached in April on my 45th birthday. Mum was still extremely ill, and days were sheer hell. Mum was so sick that she had no idea it was my birthday, completely understandably, and of course no chance of sharing this mini-milestone with friends, and God knows how I loathe Zoom, even more terrifying than phone calls, and all my friends know how I feel about those. I sat in the garden, my little haven, trying to plaster on happy with gin. This is a tricky thing to achieve. I also hadn't drunk in a couple of months in case I was needed for an emergency trip to A&E, so my resistances were very low. Gin hit me like a juniper wall, and I fell down. Which would have been fine, but I fell on my tray of pampered seedlings. 
I was utterly horrified. I squashed the coriander and the basil seedlings on the time beyond repair, though I did try to save them. I felt like a murderer. All those hours of care. I'm riddled with guilt about it to this day. See how I love my guilt? Isn't that horribly sad, though? Poor seedlings. Poor past birthday me. I forgive you. Plenty of my wards survived the deadly birthday squashing, and my garden grew beyond my wildest expectations. It was a revelation. The trauma of Mum's illness had left me so changed that I had seriously considered giving up my career, as I felt I had no spark in me anymore. Yet, through this dark time, bit by bit, day by day, this beautiful thing grew around me, showing me I was wrong. What had been a square of concrete and gravel slowly transformed into a colourful jungle to enfold and heal. Eventually, it started to literally feed me. Those tiny seedling pots becoming an abundance of fruit and vegetables to be harvested daily. I'm not saying it made everything better, but it kept me afloat. A little ember of identity. I ordered a load of solar lights, feeling a touch guilty as they were non-essential, so that I could stare into the garden way into the night. I mean, define essential. Every scrap around me was salvaged and upcycled. I realised how wasteful I had been, part of the throwaway society, things and people. I hope I remember. I drive past the badger. He is melding with the verge now, a brown shape returning to the cycle. It's a relief to know that soon I won't see him. Mum was bright and brilliant today, helping me with the ups and downs of life, caring for me now. I'm so delighted that she was able to watch her beloved Liverpool win the league as it was her greatest goal during her illness. That and being able to walk her dogs. Both achieved. I cannot tell you how many times she exclaimed, I just want to live to watch Liverpool win the league. At a modest guess, 400, 500 times? To give you an idea, she said, I'd like to live to see you marry Chris. Once. And she loves us. The drive is no longer a weeping exorcism. It has returned to a time to listen to music and judge the driving of others and find it wanting. It is a time for familiar irritations, not heart-rending self-examination, and boy, am I grateful for that. I'm glad I held on. I told you I'd be back. Nice good boy. Nice a good boy. Yes, you are. Yes, we are. You're a good boy. I am full of gratitude stepping into my home, which I love, to be greeted by my black and white staffy, we often call the badger. He's getting old now, the white fur invading into the black. He's always been my carer, knowing when I was upset and pressing into me for comfort. He has a sixth badgery sense for it. No matter where I am in the flat, if I am sad, then he will find me. It has been researched that dogs can smell emotion, so perhaps he can smell my distress. Perhaps he is just a magical angel, which is what I really believe. He is getting old now, and developing anxiety of his own. I hope he didn't absorb too much of mine over the years. He is scared of fireworks, of course, which rage year-round now, it seems. Wind, riding in the car, weirdly whenever I clean, and change in general. Oh, who isn't afraid of that? He follows me, <laughs> doggedly, from room to room, and now I don't know if it's to comfort me or him. I'm glad to be with him all the time now. 
As I've said before, I think that life becomes more precious towards the end. He deserves more in his old age. We can be each other's carer. I feel as though I'm sinking back with life now. Kind of okay, about 50% of the time. That's pretty good under the circumstances, right? During the first lockdown, when Mum was at the height of her illness, I was sick with envy of all the people posting on Facebook that they were bored or had started day drinking. That sounded like pure heaven to me. Imagine being bored. Oh, that would have been wonderful. As a socially anxious, introverted person, yes, I am, actually, I felt like I was letting the opportunity of a lifetime pass by. I felt I was owed a lockdown. I was completely other and cut off from everyone. Oh, by my own making, I was aware. Plenty of wonderful people reached out to me, but I couldn't. I was just too broken. Other than the friends, carers who had sick parents, the little hell club, it was easier to talk there. Keeping up a conversation outside that was so hard. Trying to keep people informed, well, all I wanted was just to tunnel deep down and be quiet. Every week now, I feel more myself. More the regularly mentally irregular me. I suspect I should apologise to my friends, but they may well not have noticed. They've had their own shit going on. Now I've taken a moment to look about, it seems that things are in a bit of a pickle. I still touch social media lightly. There is a lot of anger there in the places where once there was a gentle echo chamber harmony. I understand. People's careers, bank balances and lives seem to shrink every day. I am still in such a state of relief that I look at it differently. I'm almost afraid to go back, to leave my safe nest. Have I done enough? Have I created enough? Why didn't I redecorate? Why didn't I lose enough weight? Why did I waste it? I like it in the safe stagnancy. If only the stalking death would fuck off. And of course, a few things stayed. Like the panic attacks and some rather alarming swings in mood. But I'm hardly surprised and try to be a bit more understanding with myself. The repetitive thought... I wonder if many carers kill themselves, has melted away. I want to hold that poor woman of only a few months ago and tell her that it will pass. That's the scary thing about peaked distress, isn't it? That we don't know it isn't forever. That we could do something reckless in a dark moment that wouldn't reflect our lives as a whole. It's no secret that I have struggled with mental health over the years and it can look pretty bleak at times. So I examine that question. I wonder if many carers kill themselves. And I conclude, no. My care, my love for my mother during that time, my partner, my dogs, my family and friends, my care for them provided the barrier. The caring let me know that a nugget of sanity was in there. The caring kept me going, made me stronger, taught me what mattered, prepared me for the future. With all that, with what I have learned as a woman, would I change this past year? Fuck yes, in a heartbeat. Well, that's about where I am. But before I go, I would like to add this little postscript. To all those carers... I am amazed by you. I see you now, when before I didn't think. That is on me. I know some of you will be hiding because you are exhausted, but I see you and your Herculean effort. Some of you will be brilliant and inspired vocational artists who feed on the value of your work, and I am in awe. Some of you, in lifelong journeys, complex and as individual as the variety of life, and I will never know you, but I wish I did. Some of you will be like me, suddenly plunged into something, bewildered, unprepared and afraid that everything you do falls short, 
but you do it anyway, and I see that. I put my arms around you. It can be ugly, and it can be beautiful, and none of us is perfect. When you think the bad thoughts, the really bad ones, please be kind to yourself. That is human. I thought everyone was doing better than me. Other carers manage without a fuss or breakdown. What is wrong with me? But you can literally do no better than your best. And who does their best all the time? Be kind. Oh, and the spring bulbs are coming up. One was coming up roots first, my breech bulb, and I turned it over. It's growing eccentrically, but it is growing. Hey there. Thank you for coming on that journey with me. Well, listening to that again makes me think of the importance of kindness. Kindness to others and kindness to ourselves. We are plunged into another period of uncertainty and fear. I know people are unsure about their jobs and money. A lot of people are getting sick and more have had plans cancelled and are feeling sad and lonely. For some, the holidays are just a hard time. And this can make us fractious with others and impatient with ourselves. I mean, for goodness sake, I had a panic attack in Tesco's yesterday for forgetting my purse when I got to the checkout. I mean, that's all I'd done. Just left my purse in the car, but had a complete meltdown about it. And that's another convenient shop on my drive home I can never use again. You see, if we can make kinder choices to ourselves and to others, we can just turn that rudder into a better direction and we can start to feel a bit better. And now this is one. I know, I know it's tempting, but I would say try to avoid getting into pointless arguments on social media. That shit is life-sapping. As my very wise friend and therapist says, do what you can do, then park it. There is no point driving ourselves nuts with things we cannot change. So there were a few things in The Deer and the Badger I was passionate to speak about. First of all, for me, it was plain to see how our older generation was becoming disposable during that initial lockdown period and beyond. And there was like a distinct feeling that they could safely be thrown under the bus so the rest of us could survive. I think it exposed an ugly ageism present in our society, and I do not like one bloody bit. And perhaps because I'm getting older every day, could be selfish on my part. But really, I mean, I said it in the play, but surely, surely we should be cherishing our elders. For shame. All right, okay, I know I say the shame is the enemy, but I'm going to allow shame here, just this once. Second, I wanted to celebrate nature and its wonders, its healing abilities. That goes for dogs as well. But, you know, plants, grass, lakes, water, sky, trees, creepy crawlies, slimies, fluffies, feathers. These are all good and essential things for the soul. We are the guardians of the earth and we should not be shitting on it. There was a reason I named the chapters of the play after the animals killed on the road. From a young age, I've always been very distressed by the animals I saw hit by cars. They were a right-in-your-face demonstration of our effect on the world around us. Do you remember when run-over hedgehogs were everywhere? Well, they're not anymore. But only because they are now endangered. Yeah, but I, I'm going to get myself off this topic before I have a little weep. <laughs> Thirdly, I just I just want to say, be a little on the lookout for a, a friend who might be struggling. And when you do spot one, please be patient with them. They might not have the mental energy to talk or reach out for help. But 
you know, you just being there for them, waiting for them like a safety net is important. And of course, the more we talk, the more it's normal for us to say when we are in trouble, the easier it will become. I think we're getting there. I think we're getting better about having this conversation. And this podcast is, I suppose, just a little contribution in that direction. My little teeny tiny drop in the ocean. And lastly, of course, very prominently, um, carers. I'm remaining in awe of carers. Um, and for those of you that know people who are, you know, check in with your mates who have a lot on their plate. Uh, I know they tend to be a stoic lot or, or frankly just knackered, so probably won't show that they have a struggle. So, you know, just check in to see if you can help, cheer them up, get them drunk or something. We don't condone irresponsible drinking on this show, officially. <clears throat> All right, well, okay, I guess on that highbrow note, that's about it for this uh, for this episode. Um, it's been wonderful sharing it with you. I hope that you will join me again next time for discussions on all things canine, one of my very, very favourite subjects, and their positive effect on mental health. And uh, for a short play on how a dog's life is uh, with us, <laughs> not just for Christmas. Um, I'll be joined by some very exciting guests on that one, so I hope you can make it. I am still, after all this very long chat and waffle in your ear, I am still Rosalind Blessed, and I am sending big love out to you. We are not afraid of the L word here, so here it is, right in your face. Love, 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 love. Thank you again, and until next time. If you trace the lines closely, you might walk the road I've been on. Understand why I cling on for a change of weather. For a change of weather.